This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Snymer. It's that time of year again. For some, it could mean making resolutions. For others, it's about predictions of what's to come in 2023, including at workplaces, like possibly yours. And what does our financial future hold for the new year? Well, financial expert Gordon Pape will look at the questions, is there a recession on the horizon? And are the central banks in this country, as well as south of the border, going to keep raising interest rates. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Travelers have returned from the pandemic, but hotel workers south of the border have not, creating unprecedented staffing challenges for the hospitality industry. According to the Labor Department, there are 350,000 fewer working in hotels now than there were in February 2020. It's not for a lack of trying, though. Hotels have raised hourly wages by 25% since then, and employers are offering greater flexibility in scheduling. Still, workers are nowhere to be seen. The manager of a Long Island, New York hotel says he's never seen anything like it. Amid ongoing staffing shortages... Two robot vacuums the hotel purchased late last year are proving their worth many times over, filling gaps in both the catering department and housekeeping. The U.S. Capitol is introducing a groundbreaking transit plan. Washington will start offering free bus rides to residents next summer. Other cities, including L.A. and Kansas City, Missouri, suspended fare collection during the height of COVID to minimize human contact and ensure residents with no other travel options could reach jobs and services at hospitals, grocery stores, and offices. But Washington's permanent free fare plan will be by far the biggest, coming at a time when major cities, including Boston and Denver, and states such as Connecticut, are considering broader zero-fare policies to improve equity and help regain ridership lost with the rise of remote and hybrid work. Analysts say D.C.'s free fare system offers a good test case on how public transit can be reshaped for a post-pandemic future. Nursing homes using artificial intelligence and digital technology are in the works over in China. Shanghai will build 100 smart senior homes by the end of 2025, featuring intelligent nursing, medical care, and canteen services, as well as smart operation and management. These senior homes will be covered by 5G signal, and electronic versions of health files of elderly citizens will be kept. 
Smart catering services with dietary nutrition management and food tracking systems will be featured at the seniors' homes to satisfy the diversified and personalized catering needs. Internet hospital services will be offered and detailed nursing plans covering chronic disease management, medicine distribution, and rehabilitation training will be established with regular disease assessment and risk analysis conducted at the homes. Nearly half of all young American adults aged 18 to 29 live with their parents, and this living arrangement's boosting the profits of luxury goods retailers. That according to leading U.S. Bank Morgan Stanley, which says the number moving back in with at least one parent spiked in 2020 at the height of the pandemic to just under 50 percent, according to census data. It's since edged down to 48 percent last year, but the rate is expected to remain there this year, even as people return to a hybrid workplace. When young adults free up their budgets from daily necessities, they have more income that can be spent on discretionary items like travel, entertainment, and luxury goods, with one prediction that market will grow 21% this year. Meanwhile, a property management survey finds Americans aged 26 to 41 also found that one quarter lived in a parent's home. Of those, just over half moved back home within the past year. The top reasons given were a desire to save money and inability to afford rent. Although nearly 4 in 10 millennials living at home say their parents charged them rent, nearly half said they were charged less than 500 a month, leaving lots of room for savings. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The start of a new year used to see many making resolutions in hopes the year ahead would be better over the one just passed. Another annual ritual we're seeing more is that of predicting trends. Will you be one of the boomerang retirees returning to work in 2023? Freelance writer, columnist Radhika Panjwani says that's one of the expected workplace trends to come out of a Microsoft survey of some 20,000 workers in 11 countries. In terms of productivity, what they found was employees are definitely, majority of employees report that they are productive at work. And it is it tracks because based on what the data shows, it tracks. But conversely, 85% of the leadership team that Microsoft spoke to, they weren't sure. They felt that the employees weren't productive enough because they weren't coming to work. There was a lack of sort of social contact. And so, so this disconnect between what the leadership team thinks and what the employees think, there's, there's a gap, obviously. And so to, to me, what 2023 is all going to be all about is flexibility, is how employers offer this flexibility to employees on where they can work, how many hours, how they interact. And trust is a huge component. Trust is going to be a huge component. Do you trust your employees or are you going to track surveillance devices into their computers and then see or ask them into, you know, unwanted meetings. So trust and flexibility in workplaces is going to be a huge thing. Isn't it more of the same of what we've seen the past couple of years or not necessarily? There's a big difference. So what happened is we were actually going into uncharted waters during pandemic. Um, nobody knew what was happening, whether this remote style of working um, would, would was, you know, there was no data to like we. So now we have about two years of solid uh, sort of measuring productivity science. And so this what we have right now, it proves to you 
and the rest of the world is that it works. Remote working is not unproductive. It is equally productive. You don't have to sit in a highway for two hours, commute, go to work. You can use just as be efficient from working from home. So, so this is new because we've had time to now rethink of what's happening. It's enough to say, yes, it's working. It seems like employers are the ones who really have to get their heads around this more so than the employees. Absolutely, uh, Bob. You hit the nail on the head. So there's even a term they came up with. They called it productivity paranoia, So, which means like the leaders are, you know, sort of uh, questioning, okay, you know what, I don't, when I walk down, I, I'm used to walking down the hallway and seeing somebody sitting in front of the computer. Um but this person, I can no longer see them. So when I, if I can't see them, do they, do they exist? <laughs> do they, are they working? So that, that, and it's usually that leadership, you know, they were used to the command and control leadership, the, the leadership that was until 2019. They were used to a certain way of working. And it's, it's very interesting that the employees have pivoted and adjusted and adapted to the new way of working, but the leadership remains stagnant. So if you feel that it'll come down to trust, how do we ensure that there is that trust so that this productivity that you say is obviously there, that the employer sees it? Right. One of the things that people um, told the surveyors was that they need transparency. Uh, from their, their supervisors, let us know. Let, let there be clarity in what the company or the team's goals are and what you expect out of us, like the objectives and the key performances um, you need from us. So the supervisors are not used to, you know, sort of remote management. They are used to people sitting in front of them and then going over performance indicators. They are not used to remote managing. And so I think the part of the uh, education or what can be done is I think organizations should invest money and send managers and supervisors to sort of upgrade their skills and see what kind of communication is needed for this new age of working, this new way of working. So that's one. And they should also sort of, you know, collect employee feedback at organizational, departmental, team levels to keep a pulse on your people. Unless you understand what your people want, you are not going to give them. So that disconnect is always going to be there. And it's soon just going to get bigger and more unmanageable. Is there another trend that you foresee, be it for 2023 and maybe even beyond, that we should keep an eye out for? Right now in Canada, there's about one, around one million vacant positions. And so we're not able to, there's a historic level of labor shortage. And we are not able to fill those labor shortage. But we have people here, the workforce that can fill this gap. And by that, I mean people who are over the ages of 55 and plus. These are people who have been nudged out of, you know, sort of organizations because of cost cuttings or, you know, whatever you want. Ageism, it is alive and well, and it's kicking. So we do have this. So we, so these people who apply for jobs, don't get callbacks, who are discriminated because of the way they look, who are discriminated because they are 
told that you're not tech savvy. So we have this population and we have this job that's waiting, begging to be filled. And I think that needs to be connected. So what I feel one of the trends going forward will be that employers will now look at all the things happening in front of them and realize that there's this unused potential. We have people with solid work ethics, solid. They're not going to leave a work because somebody has a foosball table or they play beer pongs on Friday afternoons. This is a generation that is completely solidly dependable. So, so I see that these people will be more and more, you know, sort of reintegrated back into the workforce, people who retired. Freelance writer, columnist Radhika Panjwani. I'm Bob Kompsik for Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, an outlook for the markets in the new year. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. which the Bank of Canada raised its key interest rate seven times in an attempt to slow down inflation. Many experts believe the central bank set to take a breather in 2023. So what's Gordon Pape's take? He's the editor and publisher of the Internet Wealth Builder and Income Investor newsletters and also a regular contributor to EverythingZoomer.com as well as this show. You may remember Yogi Berra's famous expression, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Well, that's what we're faced with right now is a fork in the road. And uh, quite frankly, I think anybody would be foolish to predict what fork uh, we should actually take. Uh, we can predict where they're going to go, about uh, how it's going to happen, I don't know. And let me explain what I mean here. Uh, the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve Board have been um, extremely... Uh, vague in uh, their ability to deal with not only predicting inflation and where it's going to go, but in terms of telling us how they're going to get us out of it. You may remember that both of these organizations who are supposed to have uh, all power, all seeing, uh, access to all kinds of economic information, they both told us inflation was going to be transitory. Well, it turns out, of course, it wasn't transitory. And so, as you mentioned, we've seen... uh, the highest increases in interest rates in one year in 40 years. Uh, We experienced that in uh, 2022. We went from 0.25% at the start of the year to 4.25% now. So when I talked about the fork in the road, here's what we face. If we get an inflation that's going to come down fairly quickly, we're going to indeed find ourselves in a situation where the central banks can pause and hopefully stop the uh, interest rate increases. That will be the best of all possible worlds because that will lead to a situation in which we avoid a recession, in which the bond market will come back, stocks will be positively affected, and um, generally speaking, we'll have a very good economic scenario in 2023. But, and here's the but, and it's the other fork in the road, if inflation is very slow to come down, and there are signs that could be the case because core inflation is actually uh, running a bit above the um, general CPI. If it's slow to come down, the central banks have made it very clear that they are not going to stand back and let inflation rise up to the kind of levels we saw in 1980. 
they're going to come in and they're going to hammer it. And interest rates increases are going to uh, still go on through, uh, I think, 2023, at least half of the year anyway, maybe longer. And if that happens, then you're in the other fork of the road scenario where we get a recession, layoffs, uh, slowdown in business activity, uh, weakness in the bond market, weakness in the stock market. Not a good picture all the way around. And there's the two folks that we're faced with right now. I wish I could tell you which one is going to uh, materialize. Uh, As an optimist, I say the first one, the soft landing. But we have to prepare for both. It sounds like a lot of the experts and observers in the markets are saying to prepare for number two, meaning recession. Well, certainly it's, it's prudent. Uh, to uh, always hope for the best and prepare for the worst. So I wouldn't argue with that at all. And Preparing for the worst would mean to keep proportionally more of your money in cash. We're getting uh, fairly good returns now out of short-term GICs. We're getting uh, some of the uh, banks, and especially the smaller ones, are paying good returns on high-interest savings accounts. Uh, so you get um, three, four, I know someone that's paying four and a half, on a high-interest savings account, and your money is flexible. You can take it on any time you want. So that's a good way to prepare for the worst. Now, bank policy, as we know, is not the only uncertainty that investors will face this year. You've got the geopolitical factors, meaning the Russian war and, of course, unrest over in China. Well, yeah, they, and they, of course, have two different effects. The... Um, Situation in China, I don't think, is going to uh, lead to the kind of serious political unrest that would undermine the stability of the regime. But what it certainly is going to lead to in the um, high number of uh, COVID cases that we are now seeing out of China are going to, uh, I think, support this fact. We're going to see more of a problem with supply chains in 2023. Uh, We had a lot of companies suffering from this issue in 2022, and if a lot of Chinese workers are off sick, a lot of our imports are coming from that country. That's going to have a very negative impact. The situation as far as Russia and Ukraine is concerned is, of course, a a different animal entirely, and there uh, we're constantly flirting with the risk of uh, Russia being driven to the point of desperation where uh, they use tactical nuclear weapons which could lead to heaven knows what, uh, and the kind of situation I don't think any of us really want to think about. If that happens, as far as the markets and your money is concerned, all bets are off. So let's just cross our fingers that doesn't happen. That seems like the possibility of uh, a third fork in the road, you might say. Well, (laughs) there are always many forks in the road (laughs) that we face at any given moment in time. But um, I think that the, the main one we're going to face is this issue of uh, inflation and interest rates. I think that's going to be the overwhelming story one way or the other in 2023. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi. Christine Ross and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. 
Executive Producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.